Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we tackle our most pervasive and debilitating fears with faith. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery, and I'm passionate about helping God's children live in freedom because life is much too short and we have way too much to do, too many hearts to heal and lives to change for any of us to live enslaved to fear. In fact, God can and will use our fears to deepen our knowledge of Him and our faith in Him. We discussed this in episode 13 titled The Courage to Face Our Doubts. Our doubts reveal cracks in our faith and areas of misconception God wants to mortar with truth so that we can emerge from our period of wrestling and uncertainty stronger. He does that with us, and He does that with our kids too. As frightening as that can be for us mamas and dads and grandmas and grandpas to experience, I know this is an area of anxiety for many of us, an anxiety that can easily drive a wedge between us and our kids, which is why I brought on my guest today, Tom Hinders. Hi, Tom. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Tom is the college director at Christ Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. He's currently working towards his Master of Divinity through Denver Seminary, as well as raising three small children with his wife. So he's a busy man. He is a big sports fan, Packers and Lakers. He loves music. He's a self-described Bible nerd, and his hope is that students would find a genuine faith in the risen Jesus, and that they would partner with him in bringing God's kingdom to Omaha and the world. Now, for all of you moms, dads, foster parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and anyone who loves a kid, a teen, or a young adult, I hope that's all of us, I think you'll appreciate the insights that Tom has to share. Tom, I'm sure you've encountered numerous adults who have experienced angst over their child's spirituality or lack of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I worked uh, largely with middle school and high school students um, up until more recently in, in college aged group. And yeah, it's very common because as you're growing up, we all are trying to figure out what it means to become our own adults and figure out what, what it is that we believe. And becoming an adult is a challenging process in a family unit. It's very, very common to experience that angst and just experience that even as someone in ministry who's seeing these kids grow up, have doubts and have challenges when you've invested a lot in their spiritual lives. So yeah, experienced it both in ministry and from parents. So I bet our kids are feeling that angst as well. I didn't think about that until just listening to you. Yes. Yeah. So it's there, especially we, I grew up without the internet, but especially now that they're all growing up with the internet, there's so much information that's accessible to them. All these opinions are being uh, thrown at them as they enter into social media. And so there's a lot of angst amongst their own processing and growth in their faith is like, what is it that I actually believe? And can I trust what I've been taught growing up and all these sorts of things? So my daughter is 23. And so she doesn't mind if I share our interactions. But sometimes when we're talking, I get the sense that there is this underlying, I don't want to displease mom and dad, right? And I think that's probably pretty common. I mean, she's an independent woman and she's she's intelligent and investigative. But I, I think there's just this natural sense in children as they grow up, they need to be independent, right? And, and make faith their own, but then to rem- keep that connection that they have with their parents. Yeah, I mean, we're designed to leave <laughs> our parents. 
And so that is very much part of what's wired in us is to leave. It's a rock, it can be rocky. It can be very rocky. And, and some, some students, some kids, some young adults are more inclined to want to follow and, and honor their parents more than others. I'm the oldest. And so I very much have that ingrained in me. Whereas I'd say some of my younger siblings, maybe a little less, but they, they still want to honor mom and dad, but for sure. So what happens when we respond, like if they're, they're going through their natural kind of wrestling period, which I think is very, very necessary if they're going to own their faith, right? What happens then when we become, our fears come out through our words or our actions? Yeah. So I, I think it, the fear itself maybe isn't the thing, at least in my experience, that would would have like a negative response because we're human. And I think our, our kids, as they grow up, they understand that more often. And that's actually probably good for them to see that we're human. But it's what we allow that fear to do. So if we let that fear kind of control and, and cause us to grab a hold of maybe more control in that relationship, then they won't feel, or if, or if we allow it to you know, manifest itself through sort of judgment or really harsh criticism, then we won't be safe anymore for them to be able to process that stuff as they become an adult. So they'll, they'll process and bring that stuff to someone else, or they won't, they'll just stuff it. Whereas if, if we're just, I think if we're honest about, Hey, honestly, like it's, it's scary for me when, you know, it feels like you're going a certain way, but we're just, but I, I trust that you're you know, and you're becoming an adult and you're, you allow freedom in the relationship that they don't have to look the exact way that you look in your life and faith, that you can maintain the relationship either way, that that's probably going to be a longer standing, a more healthy sort of scenario. Craig Rochelle talks about this as, as leadership in a leadership sense, but he says people always want a leader who's real versus a leader who is right. I think in parenting, it's very similar. They'd rather have our, us be real with them more than always be right in front of them. And so that's what I'd say. It's like when that fear kind of manifests itself in kind of negative ways, like control, that's when it can be really hurtful, I think, to the relationship. Yeah. And I know for me, like I have to remember with my daughter, well, and when just people I interact, interact with that the relationship is my priority, right? And so holding, holding, not that I don't want her to have a strong faith, but if I've lost that relationship, one, my heart would be broke, but then two, I'd lose influence as well. But I, I remember when my daughter, so she was about 17 and she is a scientist by nature. And so she has to circle around everything 500 times and kind of poke at it from every, every angle. That's how her brain works. And I would feel like in my brain, my role was to teach. And therefore I had to teach to everything. And so I thought that it was my responsibility to basically instruct her in every conversation. And I would sense her body language, like she was getting tense. And so finally, and and God did some work with me, you know, kind of, he asked me like, where were you at 17 and helping me to, to lay off. But I just said to her one day, I said, I want you to know that if I don't say something, it doesn't mean I agree because I think my fear was, by being silent, that it meant I agreed with her. And then that had a whole nother layer of confusion for me as a mom. And she said, well, mom, I already know what you think. Yeah. That gave me peace to lay off and to listen. Yeah. I mean, even I've experienced that even as a, a sibling, you know, not even as a parent, but in relationship with, you know, your siblings who maybe have different ways of living their lives or viewing the world, even though you grew up in the same household and we wrestle with how do we have that relationship? 
And that's that sort of same thing is that like, we feel like the safest people in our family to, uh, to my sister, because, because we don't feel the need to like constantly tell her what it is that we think or believe or what we think is right, because she, she knows what it is that we think and believe. And so there is, there's space and freedom to just listen and like love. Cause it's, it's, it's known. And there's some level of like make that being a reality in the way we live our lives. I mean, it still plays itself out, but yeah, very much so. Like a lot of times they, if you have that level of relationship, like you would with a sibling or with a child, they probably know what it is that you believe or what you think is right or wrong. It's not a, it's not a secret. So for sure, allow yourself freedom to just care about them and love them in that way. Yeah. And I would say if it is a secret, that's probably a bigger problem than anything you're going to say. (laughs) Yes. They don't know what you think or believe at all. They've grown up in your house. Yeah. That would be pretty rough. I wonder too, then if we can, as we're, when we feel that fear response rise up. So like we feel our body becoming tense or we feel like we have to give an answer kind of on the, you know, really quick rebuttal to hit pause and begin to investigate, okay, why am I feeling this way? What am I really afraid of? And I think sometimes parents are afraid, like my kids are going to walk away from the church forever. When you see that. 18 to 30 year olds are the most absent demographic from the church. And so we've probably heard that statistic and experienced it when kids leave. And so, so yeah, we're afraid that, well, what if I don't do X, Y, and Z the right way or train them all the exact right things or give them all the exact right answers. They'll just peace out and and leave, leave the faith, leave the church. And yeah. And I, and there's a real, there's a realness to that fear because we see it happen. My kids are very little, so it's not, at that stage of like, let me control them to like follow Jesus, but like, let me control them to like be good little children. And we found that even that like is really difficult to like, you can't control your, my five-year-old, I can't, I can barely control her. So, and that's not really my job is to control her as much as it is to, you know, Deuteronomy says train them up or, or Proverbs rather, but train them up in that. And then just trust that like God will be faithful to that. Um, that follows through with our, our grown children as well. Yeah. And I think it comes down to like, I have to remind myself, I am not responsible for her salvation, nor do I really, I I can train her and I should train her and I should model faith and my life should point her to Jesus. But ultimately only God can bring someone to salvation. Right. Well, and the interesting thing is, so you see, you know, in Deuteronomy, when God is giving the Israelites the law and there's that famous sort of uh, passage, Deuteronomy 11, where he says that, you know, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, and teach them to your children, taking them up when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you, as you go. Like, uh, the first thing is that, like, you would fix the words of God on your own heart, and then you would teach them to your children. But that's, like, the extent of the, the command is, like, teach them to your kids and trust them for yourself. But like what they do with it, yeah, you're not, we're not held accountable or responsible or like they're going to ultimately be, you know, God's going to draw them as he's going to, as he's drawn us. And there's just, again, it's just that trust and faith, like fix it on my own heart, walk in that way and then teach my kids and trust that God will work in their own heart because his spirit can be active in their heart as much as he is in mine. But that's really hard to do. It can be really hard to do because we maybe don't see it as quickly as we'd want or in the way we'd want. Um, but I always have to kind of go back to like fix God's words on, on my own heart first and then teach them to my kids regularly and just trust that God's going to honor his own words, that that would be fruitful. So 
And I, I was thinking too, when you think of the story of the prodigal, because I've heard from adults who are raising prodigals or who have raised prodigals. And one thing I find interesting in that story, so for those who aren't familiar, it's a parable that Jesus told about a father who had two sons. One ran away with like his inheritance and in wild living and the other stayed home and was faithful. And eventually the, the prodigal son, the one that ran away, he came back. But what I find really interesting in, in that parable, the analogy that Jesus is making is the father is God the father, which is a perfect father. And yet the, the prodigal runs away. But then what I had heard on a radio talk show once, the, the man speaking said, when the, when the father's son left, he let him go. And I wouldn't be able to, I would be chasing my daughter down. Please come back and listen to this. <laughs> and that's hard. Yeah, he, he, he didn't have to give him his inheritance early either, right? He could have been like, no, you got to wait till I die to get that. That's how that works. But yeah, he did. He just like gave it over to him and let him go. And actually in that story, the, the prodigal is the one who is redeemed in the story and is brought back. But the, the child who stayed home and was under, did all the, was actually the one who at the end of the story is kind of left in tension of like, he's not going to go into the feast and celebrate. And there's some irony in that as well, that the one who looks like he was staying home and doing all the right things actually had maybe more heart work to do at the end of that parable than the prodigal who ran away. And so, yeah, there's just trusting that again, God will work in the people's lives. And we see that happen all the time. People whose stories are so crazy in their, in their youth and then they, they end up being some of the more uh, impactful people for God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Well, and my listeners know too, I was actually homeless as a teenager. And so I can oh, look wow. at my life and I can see there's no doubt of light versus dark for me. And, and so I think sometimes when our kids, we hate to see them struggle. And I can't really relate, you know, I... I I can't relate to some of the struggles that some of the parents, and I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to, that some of you parents are struggling with some really hard stuff. Maybe kids in drugs and maybe, you know, maybe they, you've done everything right and you're praying and, and you, you had them in Sunday school and you did all the mommy me stuff or the father son stuff. And, and that's really, really hard. But I do, I do believe that some, for some people when it takes seeing the end of themselves before, they are, before they're open to, okay, God, I need you for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, I ask people their stories a lot, you know, as a, as a uh, minister, as a pastor that, uh, hey, tell me about your faith journey. It's a very regular conversation. And for most people, whether they became you know, a quote unquote, maybe they put their faith in Jesus and said the prayer when they were four, you know, and they were like, I didn't really know what that meant. Or they didn't really have a moment of faith until they were older. Everyone's kind of turning point, whether it was a man, I, I trusted Jesus, but I didn't really live my life for him in a meaningful way. Or I put my faith in him for the first time. That came at somewhat of a crisis moment in almost everyone's story. I mean, that, that's just a pattern I've seen develop. And even in my own story, that was something that happened. And those crises look different, but it's usually like a person failed you, uh, the church or a system failed you, or like, or you're just, you became acutely aware of your own failure. And usually that's included in some way, shape or form always. And so you're right. Like, I think there is something to be said about like, we won't decide that we need to submit ourselves to Jesus oftentimes without something just like, 
making us acutely aware of that. And that's, that can be difficult because we don't want to see our kids go through that. Again, I'm in the little, the little stage. So like my children always have band-aids on their knees all the time because they just trip and fall every day. And you go from that stage where they're little and you're trying to like, every time they get hurt, you're like trying to keep that from happening in any way you can. Right. And we also have a six month old. So we like put, you put gates up and you, baby proof the house but there's no like magic switch at some point when they like turn 14 and you're like okay now I don't I don't care about them not being hurt anymore so you you know you just have to like kind of but they need to in some way experience that on on their own because we all do and so it's that like almost protectiveness that can become challenging to like let go in some way that like they're gonna need to have some level of a crisis I think for that and we don't force that, but it's just, it's, it just kind of happens for everyone. So. So let's talk about them being hurt. I th- you know, so my, my daughter had said something to me once we were talking about something and it was, it was some differences that we had in, in our views on a certain thing. And, and I circled back later and I said, you know, I just want to understand because I was a little confused as to what she was talking about. I said, I would just want to understand was your concern with this or was it this? And she, and she paused and she said, you know, I wasn't really, it's not really about that truth. I mean, we use different words, which is not really about that truth. I had just witnessed and she explained as a scenario where someone she cared about was deeply hurt using that particular truth. And so I had just come along shortly after that experience. And I think she needed to get that out. And so I think maybe sometimes our kids aren't pushing against the truth so much as hurts they've seen or hurts they've experienced. Yeah. I remember very vividly a professor at my college at Grace where I got my undergrad. He was our theology professor and was a very smart guy, but also was very uh, just aware of emotional. He's also a counselor. And so there was that perfect blend. And I remember him saying that oftentimes when he would have conversations with people who left the faith some way, shape or form, which he had known a number of people in his life who had done that and through counseling that almost always at the root of that departure from faith, even though it was often uh, veiled by some sort of theological or mental sort of um, reasoning why they couldn't believe this anymore or follow this anymore. Uh, that at the root of almost everyone's sort of departure was some sort of pain or hurt that they experienced at the hands of, another Christian, a church organization, a church leader somewhere um, that caused that to happen. And that kind of opened my eyes since then to just kind of observe for that same sort of pattern. And I've, I've seen it sort of hold true as I've used it as a tool almost. People don't want you to dissect them oftentimes like, let me try and figure out what's, why you're really doing this. But, but I've still been able to kind of discern that same thing. That yeah, we oftentimes will leave something not because there's, because there's a lot of great re- there's a lot of people way smarter than any of us that have decided there's enough evidence here to follow Jesus. <laughs> like the things are true that are said in scripture. And so for any of us to think, go like, well, I just can't, you know, mentally ascend to that idea. Um, oftentimes, yeah, it's actually more, more pain that's happened as a result of someone not really following after Jesus in the way that they state that they do. And that is really, that's not a, it's a very real thing to try and, see healing in that. It's almost probably more difficult for someone to grow and move beyond that hurt than it is to like be convinced of maybe because you could just give someone evidence for a truth and they'd be confronted with it, but there's a lot more work that would come from healing. But yeah, it's something to be aware of as we're raising our children is like, 
I already see things in my own life that could like, as a pastor, like, oh, if I say this thing publicly, but then do this thing at home and don't apologize to my children and be ready, easily repent of my sin to them, what they're going to do is there's going to be hurt on hurt on hurt stacked of like, oh, dad just hurt me over and over again because of the thing he said or he got angry or whatever. And so I'm very aware of like being quick to like humbly apologize and that with my children. So I don't leave wounds in them that like, um, that maybe would be seeds for them to have doubt in what it is that I say or what it is that Jesus says in his word. I think that's why it's also really important to two things to die dialogue with them, hold that relationship, but also to be so, so prayerful. So my daughter, when she was in about fifth grade, she had an actually pretty painful experience at a church camp mm. that I thought we had addressed at the time but it just carried with her. And then she started, some things were said to her by a spiritual leader at that camp that was inappropriate and, and just not okay. And then she carried that and then everything else kind of tagged onto that. You know how like when a lie is formed and then you see confirmation of that lie. And I noticed this tension in her whenever we would bring up anything, like we would have family devotions or anything, I would notice this tension. And I just sensed God saying to me, wait, wait. And then one day it was actually, it was about a year and a half before she's to leave our home and go to college. And I sensed God saying to me, ask her how she feels about me. And I'm like, no, like she's going to say she doesn't believe in you. I don't want to know. I don't want to hear it. I don't know what I'd say. And by now she was like a physics you know, addict or whatever. And so I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know how to answer her. And, yeah. and it all came out just, she's, you know, all of the hurt that she had carried this whole time. And I'm glad a, I didn't push because I wanted to push because I was afraid. And I think I would have knocked, I would have pushed her away because she needed to be ready in her time. I don't know why that was her time, but that was her time. And then B, I am so grateful that that relationship remained intact because I don't know if she would have talked to anyone else because I was the first person she talked to because she had grown up in the church and, and how she kind of interp interpreted how, what was said to her, she's not as emotionally driven as a lot of the evangelical community. And so she tied that in. And so she's, every time she's not worshiping with arms raised in church and people are looking at her like, why aren't you moved? Why aren't you? And she was interpreting everything back to what was said to her. It's not working for you. You're not doing it right. You're not okay. And she finally came up, mom, what's wrong with me? Christianity isn't working for me. I don't see God in music. I see him in math. And I'm like, okay, Isaac Newton, like that's totally fine. And we were, we were able to dialogue, but again, it goes back to that relationship. Yeah. You were you had created a space where she could share that with you. And I said, I think you'd mentioned like there would have been, there was a fear earlier that maybe she would not respond in a way that you were like, oh, I would hope she would respond. I'm afraid of what I think I know would be true. And so you don't have to like do the work to prepare your own heart to go like, all right, God, let me respond in a way that she knows she can open up to me about this. And yeah, you experienced then that she was. And that's powerful. That's I mean it's a powerful story to be able to walk through that with your own kids because a lot of people's stories don't don't echo that way. They don't they don't go that way because it doesn't feel safe to share that with your parents. And especially when they feel other or different than the church community and faith community that they've grown up in you can feel like this is the only way that I can follow Jesus or whatever is by looking the same way as everyone else. 
And so that you're able to walk through that. I mean, that's, that's a pretty powerful testimony to, to creating a positive space for that to happen. And just, yeah, waiting for a, an appropriate time at the spirit's leading to bring it up. And I think that's an important piece is like trusting God's spirit and guiding us through that because every person and child is different and needs different space. And, and maybe our hearts are also maybe not in the right spot either, right? To ask a certain question or to, to receive, we might know we would respond poorly in a certain way or a certain time. Um, so yeah, being sensitive and mindful of all those things, I think are, are key factors to, to that going well. <laughs> so, well, the one thing I thought in that moment, it was like another split second was that my not knowing wouldn't change anything. It would just remove me from the conversation. And I, I didn't want, I didn't want that. So one last thing I would like to touch on that I think is so, so important is the having being plugged into a faith community. And having our kids plugged into a faith community. Yeah. Well, obviously it's important. Uh, I grew up in the church, grew up in a faith community. I went to all the church things. Actually in high school, I was at going to church like four or five times a week. So it, it was, it's part of my story. It became like the church and church activities became like the way that I followed Jesus. And the rest of my life was kind of like, not a prodigal life, but kind of just separate from, from following after Jesus and then doing student ministry. And now being college uh, pastor, seeing that very, that community just is pivotal because when, and, and not just a community where they come and, and just go through the motions of a program together, because that's great, but, and that definitely has value, but like finding a, an actual community where they can be real and vulnerable is, is the thing that we've tried really hard always to create space for. Because if they, as much as parents are, and, and adults are key contributing uh, disciple makers to our children at, at, at every stage, like the peer factor is also a significant one where they can be open and honest with their peers about things that they're going through and experiencing and processing their own faith as they, as they mature is an important piece of that. And we've seen just powerful, even our fall retreat that we just had a couple of weeks ago, just seeing this, that powerful move of God's spirit when a bunch of people sort of in that same peer group are willing to be vulnerable with each other about their struggles, their challenges, their doubts, and being accepted by your peers. I think now they did this whole thing about, uh, there was a study done not that long ago, where it was 40, 50 years ago when they kind of uh, asked and polled students, young people who they trusted or whose opinion mattered the most to them. It was like teachers, pastors, parents, you know, and then a couple other, you know, friends and then something else. And now they did another poll not that long ago. And the number one opinion that matters to kids is their friends' opinions on things. And so, and I don't, I don't even think pastors are on the list anymore. (laughs) I'm like the top five. So, uh, so it's just that, idea of if, if they're in a community of other people, of other students who have parents and families where they're all trying to seek and figure out and follow after Jesus as imperfectly as that is together, uh, that there's real value in that, especially when they can be vulnerable and share those sorts of things. Yeah. And I think, I think too, our kids may not ask us the questions because they may be afraid we're going to be upset or, right. or whatever. And so if they can have another adult who's somewhat removed, but who also is strong in their faith, you know, maybe somebody in our small group or in our kids' small group, a parent of, of their friends, that can give them just that one more space. Like if they're more comfortable, that was one thing my my daughter had said to me that that year. She said, mom, I'm more comfortable 
around my classmate. She had, you know, she's in engineering and, and math and science. And because they, uh, they had these conversations that she felt were allowed. And so she needed to have a space where she can have conversations. Yeah. And I, there's something about like, I'm not a psychologist or psych, you know, I don't, I just observe life as I get older and, and from my own life, but just family dynamic, when you're really close with just family dynamics can be really loaded too. Sometimes you just feel like if I bring it in with my, with your spouse too, right. It can feel more difficult to broach certain topics with your spouse than with just like your bros that you're, you know, because like that, you know, that there's, there's, it's not as loaded of a conversation. It's not like if I bring this up, there's as much risk that maybe this relationship might crack or be hurt. And we need to do the work then as parents to like, that's what we talked about that whole fear is creating. When I see families where they do have open lines of communication with each other, just how powerful that is, because there isn't a fear that that's going to happen, whether it's real or not. There isn't a fear of, of if I do X, Y, and Z, or if I bring this up that like my parents would be so mad at me or my siblings would be so mad at me that it would like really damage the relationship. But yeah, it's valuable and vital and it's part of growing up. This is a really important topic. Hopefully, if we gave you nothing else, just encourage you to seek God, preserve the relationship, have open dialogue. It's not up to you. Give that give that ultimate responsibility back to God mm. and just follow his leading. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having It was great. I hope I offered a little bit of insider help. Thank you for listening. I hope today's discussion gave you some insight and maybe even some peace to follow God's lead as you engage with your kid, trusting him to touch their heart and to draw them to himself. I would love it if you would rate this episode. That encourages me and it also helps others to find this podcast and make sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so and share it with your friends so that together we can love the next generation well. Until next time, go in peace and go in courage as you learn to daily to choose to follow faith rather than fear. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit LifeAudio.com to listen and subscribe.